you for our everyday living. We thank you for this blessed book and the truth of it, the accuracy of it, the infallibility of it. And we pray that you'd help us to be better students of this word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I've titled this, Am I I My Brother's Keeper? Am I My Brother's Keeper? As I thought about these two verses, I couldn't help but think about Genesis chapter 4. And in Genesis chapter 4, we have recorded for us the story of Cain's killing of his brother Abel. And in Genesis chapter 4, we actually have the first murder committed here on earth. But in verse 9 of Genesis chapter 4, we find this recorded. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? In a way, when Cain responded in that way, he's saying to the Lord that he has no responsibility for the care of his brother. Today, among believers, this attitude can all too often be found. However, James closes his epistle with a call to believers to be concerned for the well-being of their fellow believers. I want to quote Pastor Fidena, said this, James has spoken over and over in this epistle of the dual responsibility of every believer to have faith and to manifest that faith in good works. Likewise, at the end of this practical letter, James reminds us of our duty to the Lord. He's spoken in previous verses of sin and sickness in the life of believers, and now he enlarges on this theme by pointing out our responsibilities to any backslider. We're to do all we can to help one who has slipped his spiritual moorings to return to Christ and his service. Yes, believers are really by our duty to be our brother's keeper. And so let's look at what James has to say here. First of all, there's a potential problem addressed in verse 19, the early part. He says, brethren, if any of you do err, from the truth. The potential offender there is identified when he says, brethren. He says, brethren, if any of you, he's talking about fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, saved people. And then he says, any of you refers, I believe, not just to the to uh, saved people as a general thing, but uh, people in their particular congregation that he's writing to. And then there's not only a potential offender identified, there's a possible action mentioned here. He says, do err from the truth. Now that word err is interesting. It means to wander or to go astray. It actually uh, comes from a Greek word that refers to planets and how they they wander. And uh, it's talking about people that go astray from the truth. Now, when he says err from the truth, it means to go against the truth, the principles, the precepts of the Word of God. We know the Word of God is the truth, and it's the truth in written form. Jesus Christ is the truth in in the physical form. In John 17, 17, Jesus said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So Christ, we know, is the living word, according to John chapter 1 and verse 14. 
or the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Those who err from the truth have strayed or wandered from the Lord Jesus Christ and all that he taught. Jesus declared himself to be the truth. He said, for I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And so when he says a, a brother or a sister who errs, it's someone who's gone against the teaching uh, and the principles and precepts of the Lord Jesus Christ. To err from the truth is to deviate in doctrine, to go away from the truth of God's word. And somebody said this, I think it's a great quote. Generally, one who deviates in doctrine soon deviates in life. Mm-hmm. Get the, the, the method there, if you will, the progression. You deviate in doctrine and it leads you to deviate in your life. Now, the reason for straying can be one of two ways. It can be an inward uh, uh, reason, if you will, and that would be willful disobedience, an inward decision to go against God's word. It's kind of scary to me when a believer wantonly and willfully goes against the word of God. That's not a good place to be. You're begging for the chastening of the Lord when you do that. Sometimes as a pastor, when I have to counsel with people or go after straying sheep, I find that they've wantonly and willfully decided to go against the word of God. That's, as I say, that's not a good place to be. And uh, it burdens my heart when we see them doing that and they won't repent and get right. Hmm. Well, anyway, it can be an inward decision, a decision of the heart that I'm just going to disregard what the Bible says. I'm going to do my own thing. Or it can also be erring fostered by outside sources. I'm talking about the world. I'm talking about the flesh. I'm talking about the devil. All those forces that work against us. And sometimes people just... Uh, give up in the battle and succumb to those forces and allow their flesh to have its way or allow the world to have its way or uh, 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 stumble and fall uh, in that way. The world, the flesh, and the devil. I, I can think of people right now who are not in church tonight because they've, they've failed in this area right here. They didn't set out and they didn't just decide in their heart that they were going to go against the word of God. But that's where they are. And it's, they're there because they've allowed outside forces to bring them to that place. They've allowed uh, the flesh, and boy, the flesh works hard on us, doesn't it? We have to battle that flesh every day and all day. It never gives up. Wouldn't it be great if you could win the victory over your flesh once and for all? Well, the only time that's going to happen, they'll be shoveling dirt on your flesh. Amen. Until then, it's a battle every day, all day. The flesh wants it its way. The world wants us to follow it. Most of us are aware of the pressure the world puts on us to conform to the world. But God says, be ye not conformed, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. But so many times we find believers who just succumb to these pressures 
and, uh, and they, they go against the truth. Then there's a practical warning inferred here in the text. It's all too possible for truly saved individuals to err, to wander from the truth. He says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, he's talking to saved people. Now, we understand that unsaved people aren't going to follow the truth and they're going to go against the truth because they're unsaved people. But we, we should not expect that of Christians. But it can happen. They can choose to go off into sin or they can be led astray by other people. And I thought about how many Christians have been influenced by unsaved people or carnal Christians to live in opposition to the truth of this book. You know, I, I warn people many times, be careful who you're hanging around. Hmm? You say, well, I'm hanging around other Christians. Oh, what kind of Christians are they? Are they the kind of Christians that encourage you to be a better Christian? Or are they Christians who try to pull you down? Hmm. You know, sometimes we just have to make a decision. I can't fellowship with so-and-so because they're not good for me. That's a hard saying, but it's true. If we have people who are trying to tear us down and lead us away from the, the truth of the Word of God and the things of the Word of God, they're not our friends and they're not, they don't have our best interest at heart. So we need to be very careful about that. Sometimes people can be led astray by false teachings. I remember at Faith Baptist Church, we had a fellow that got in the church. He was there for a couple of years, and, and uh, he seemed to be growing in the Lord. And next thing I knew, I, I heard he was out of church. And I asked Pastor Fidena about what happened with this guy. Well, he got off on some tangent following some TV preacher that he found on the Internet. Hmm? And the, the, he got his doctrine all messed up. Listen, we need to be careful who we're hanging around, who we're listening to. Not everybody has your best interest at heart. So, again, be careful there. I thought about the cults, Jehovah's Witness, Mormons. Uh, you know, they love nothing better than to find a weak Christian. They do. They prey upon weak Christians who know just a little bit. And they capitalize on that and try to lead you astray. And sadly, sometimes believers uh, fall into that trap. So number one, we see a potential problem addressed, and that's brethren, saved people, erring from the truth. Then number two, there's a possible activity mentioned. It says, and one convert him. Now, I like the way James phrased that. He said, one and that one refers to anyone, if anyone would convert him. And, and I thought about this. He didn't say if some super spiritual saint is the one that converts him. No, anyone. Not only a pastor, not only a deacon. One here refers to any born-again Christian who's in fellowship with the Lord going to say that again. One here refers to any born-again Christian who is in fellowship with the Lord. 
Listen, if you're not right with God, you're not going to be able to help somebody else get right with God. Say amen. If, if, you, if you've got sin in your life, you're not going to be able to help somebody else get rid of sin in their life. You better start cleaning up your own house first. Amen. Go over to Galatians for just a minute. Galatians chapter 6. Paul writes about this, and he says, Brethren, save people, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. So this is a work for spiritual people. As I said, if you've got your own problems in your life and you're not living for the Lord, you're not going to be able to help somebody else to get right with God. And... Uh, not going to be able to be used by him. The individual Christian has more responsibility than he's usually willing to admit. He says, if, if, it, if, if and one convert him, one refers to anyone, convert him means to return to a former position or to bring back. And I thought about that, this restoring of one, he says there. Convert him. This is a ministry of restoration. James is talking here about a life that's being wasted for the Lord. Somebody who's not living for the Lord. This is an erring party who's saved but has no testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's an effort is then made to get the erring brother to come back to a right relationship with the Lord and to be useful for him once again. Now, understand this, and I understand this. Only God can do the work in a person's heart. We can't convert anybody. But James says if one convert him, what's he talking about there? Well, while we can't do the converting, God uses us and uh, wants to use us to be the tools to bring other people back to a right relationship with him. There's a life being wasted. There's an effort being made to bring a brother or sister back to this right relationship. Only God can do the work in a person's heart, but he uses us. He uses believers as instruments to accomplish his purposes. And then we see something else here. We see a believer's responsibility. That means the believer has to be willing and wanting to be used of God to reconcile an erring brother. You know, sometimes we're just not interested. We just don't care. It shouldn't be that way. When we see somebody falling away, when we see somebody getting off uh, and erring against the word of God and against the truth, it should concern us. It should burden our hearts. And you know, Sadly, in our churches, especially in America here, people have the idea that it's only the pastor's job to go after straying sheep. No, it's not. And that's what James is bringing to light here. It's the responsibility of all of us when we see somebody uh, going off track that we go and try to help them to get back on track. Hmm. Well... 
we have a responsibility. Go over to 2 Corinthians. We were there this morning, chapter 5. Beginning with verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Listen, we're to have a ministry of reconciliation. We're to have a ministry of trying to bring people back to a right relationship with the Lord. But we have to be willing and wanting to be used by God. Listen, God don't force us to do things. God asks us to do things, and he, he commands us to do things, but he don't force us to do things. He's given us probably the biggest problem we have, and that is a free will. And that's where we can, we can choose whether we're going to obey God or not. And all too often, that free will gets us into trouble. We make the wrong choices. We're supposed to choose to be people who reconcile those who have fallen away, at least attempt to. We're all given the ministry of reconciliation. We're to seek the lost sinner uh, and try to get him reconciled to God as well as the, the brother or sister in Christ who strayed. We're to seek the erring believer and return to a right relationship with the Lord. So there's a potential problem addressed people erring from the truth. There's a possible activity mentioned that we, we, we can go and try to get them reconciled. But there's a plausible outcome revealed here. He says, let me get back to James. <clears throat> he says, brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one, and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, there's a plausible outcome revealed when you go after somebody who's fallen away from the truth. The backslidden believer uh, could well be reconciled to God. And that's an erring brother or sister. And we'll see them repent and confess and get right back to to where they ought to be. I couldn't help but think about the prodigal son. Now, unfortunately, the, the illustration breaks down here because nobody went to get the, the prodigal son. But the prodigal son came to himself and came to a place where he came back to God. He was reconciled, or back to his father. He was reconciled to his father. And, and that's what needs to happen with somebody who strayed off and become a prodigal. We still have prodigals today. Hmm? People who walk away from the Father. Now, you can't get unsaved, but you can walk away from the Father in disobedience. Hmm? But he's always waiting for you to come back. 
the backslidden believer will be returned to a place of usefulness for God. I made a little note here. Backslidden believers are put on a shelf by God as they're unusable. Something I never want to happen in my life is for God to put me on the shelf as somebody that's unusable. And you know, you're the one who limits what God can do in your life and with your life. I've known Christians who have gone off in sin and been put on a shelf. These are people who God used at one time, who, who God was using in a great and mighty way, but they went off into sin somewhere. They went off into a place they shouldn't have been, and God quit using them. And it's not God's fault. He wants to use every one of us, but God has to have clean vessels that he can use them. Hmm. I like the illustration I, I often use of, of how, you know, when you want to get something to drink at your house, uh, you don't go get a dirty cup. Hmm? I mentioned here not, not too long ago how when we were living down in the South, we learned that before you put anything in a cup, you look in it. Hmm? Not only may it not be clean, there might be a critter living in it. Yeah. But listen, uh, when we want to get something to drink, we don't look for a dirty cup. We look for a clean vessel. And when God has a work to do, he's not looking for a dirty cup. He's looking for a clean vessel. Now, I understand we can't live sinless perfection, and I'm not saying we can. But we can keep our sin account short. Amen? We can stay confessed up and deal with the sin in our lives so that God can use us when he wants to. When we will be an available vessel, hmm, a plausible outcome is revealed here. And then the backsliding believer will be replaced to a place of usefulness, and the backslidden believer is going to avoid further chastening. It's not a pleasant thing to be chastened by the Lord. If you've ever been chastened by the Lord, you know that. It's, 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 it's a rather painful thing in a lot of different ways. In context, saving of a soul here from death seems to be speaking of a physical death brought about by sin. You know that we, we, can, we can sin to the place that God has to take us home early. Go over to 1 John chapter 5, verse 16. John speaks about it. He says, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. The sin unto death. What is that sin unto death? It's when God has chastened us and we refuse to listen to his chastening. We refuse to turn and, and, and get right with him and get back where we need to be. And we continue in our sin and continue uh, having a bad testimony and that kind of thing. 
And God has to take us home because we can't behave ourselves here. The chastening of the Lord. When we first got saved, there was a fellow in Faith Baptist Church who we believe with all of our heart <clears throat> was taken home to heaven early because of his sin in his life. This young man had gotten saved out of the drug culture, and uh, he was heavy into drugs and that kind of thing. He got saved, he got cleaned up, and he was doing real good. But then he relapsed. He got away from the Lord, he got back into his sin. And he, uh, he confessed his sin, and he asked God to forgive him, and, and he got back in, and he got going again pretty good, and, and, but then he slipped off the wagon again. He did this a couple of times, and then he came one day to Pastor Fidena in his office. And he said, Pastor, I want you to know, I prayed to the Lord this prayer, that if I go back into drugs one more time, that he'll take me home. Because I'm being a bad testimony for him. It wasn't too much long, long after that, a couple, maybe a couple of weeks, pastor got a phone call. That young man in his car, he had a Volkswagen Bug. How many of you remember Volkswagen Bugs? He had a Volkswagen Bug, and uh, he was driving down in Philadelphia, and uh, he ran into a bridge abutment and died instantly. Now, the policeman that investigated that said this. He said, I don't understand it, but I believe that young man was dead before he ever hit that bridge. Hmm. Could well be. The Lord just took him home because he couldn't behave himself here. There is a sin unto death. And we need, we need, to, be, we need to be aware of that and when we see people going off and going against the Lord, we need, to, we need to be concerned about them. Listen, I don't want to see anybody commit to sin unto death. I don't want anybody to have to go home early because God had to take them home. They were destroying the testimony. Well, there's a sin unto death, and somebody said this, Backsliders, beware. Be sure your sin will find you out. There is a sin unto death. Are you backsliding? Have you been sick recently as a result of sin? You had better get your life straightened out or God may remove you from the land of the living. And I think that's a good warning. By the way, he says, "Is uh, any of you sick, been sick because of sin? You know, sometimes we, our sickness can be the result of sin. And it's God's chastening. Now, don't go out of here and say, Pastor Gilmore said everybody who's sick is, has sin in their life. No, no, no. But sometimes, listen, we can end up in a hospital. We can end up with, with a, a serious sickness because we're living in error and we're not following the Lord and living for the Lord. Well, then look what else it says. The sinner's sins shall be covered. He says there, let me get back to James. He says, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. Now, th these verses are really difficult in a lot of different ways. He says, hide a multitude of sins. 
Well, Hyde has the idea there of covering up. And the sinner's sins are going to be covered according to this verse. Now, as I thought about it, I thought this, this has to be applied one of two ways. It can mean he'll cease doing the sins that he's doing and they'll no longer be seen by other people. Or God is going to forgive them and they'll never be remembered against him again. And I think that's, that's the proper application there. That when we get somebody to return to the Lord and get right with God <clears throat> and they confess their sin, don't forget First John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I understand when we die, God's not going to remember our sins against us. But while we're living here, he's aware of our sins. Mm -hmm. And when we sin against him, we need to confess and get right. Well, the, sinner shall be, the sinner's sins shall be covered. Hide means to cover up. God will forgive them. The, our sins are never remembered against us again, the Bible says in uh, Psalm 103. And then I think there's a secondary application here to what's being said. I believe it's not only saved people who have a responsibility for other unsaved people or other saved people. Am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, I think we are. But also I think an application can be made here that saved people are supposed to be unsaved people. I think it's disturbing how many Christians are not concerned about the salvation of unsaved people. How many Christians are happy to be saved and they're in the church and, and uh, you know, they come to church and read their Bible and pray, but they don't give a hoot about the fact that people are dying and going to hell. I don't think that's what God wants from us. Matter of fact, I know it's not what he wants because he's told us to go tell them. We're to go out there and, and spread the good, good news and spread the word. Go ye therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That's God's will. And so we have a responsibility to, to preach to unsaved people. We're to seek them, get them converted, get them saved, get them born again. And then when this takes place, every sin of the new convert will be hidden according to the word of God. Listen, when we come to Christ, all of our sins are under the blood of Jesus Christ. God's hidden them behind his back, the Bible says. He's buried them in the deepest sea, and he separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Hmm. That's what happened when we got saved. And then when we make that application, that when we see a sinner converted, when we see an unsaved person get saved, it says, and his way shall save a soul from death. I don't think a lot of Christians understand the impact that we can have when we were, when we were soul winners. We, we, we can be used by God to bring people from being on their way to hell to being on their way to heaven. 
Now, we don't save them, but we're the vehicle, we're the vessel God wants to use. And what a joy and a blessing it is when God does use us. Many of you in this room have had opportunity to lead somebody to Christ. Isn't that a wonderful experience? And then to see people going on for the Lord and their life changed, isn't that a wonderful experience? But I don't understand why more Christians are not longing to have that experience. Well, I guess I know why. There are many reasons that, that we could cite that people are just not the soul winners they need to be. But none of them are good enough because we have a, we have a command of the Lord to take the gospel to the lost. And when we do, it says there, we've delivered one from death. What's it talking about, death there? Well, we know if a person dies unsaved, they're going to they're suffer eternal separation from God. For all eternity, they will suffer torment in the flames of hell. Hmm? That's the, that's the second death. It's a point of all men wants to die. We're all going to die physically, but there is a second death. And that second death is to be eternally separated from God. There are so many people, and the majority of people are unsaved and on their way to hell. We as saved people are a very small minority but we have a responsibility to tell them and to see people saved. When this happens, when we see one converted, the convert goes from a death sentence, eternally separated from God, to having eternal life, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Warren Wiersbe said this, the application can be made to the lost sinner. After all, if a straying brother needs to be restored, how much more does a lost sinner need to be brought to the Savior? If the wandering or erring believer loses his life, he at least goes to heaven, but the lost sinner is condemned to an eternity in hell. That's, that's quite a thought. And you know, I, I, as I read that, I thought, boy, he kind of hit the nail right on the head with that one. If a, if a backslidden Christian dies, he's still going to heaven. Now, he may not enjoy heaven as much as he would have if he was right with God. And he'll lose rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. But he'll still make it to heaven. But the unsaved person, if they die without Christ, there's no hope. Hmm. No hope of ever getting out of hell and torment and getting into heaven. Well, I believe this passage here shows us that every believer has a duty to look out for the spiritual well-being of our fellow believers and for the unsaved. We're to seek to bring the erring or wandering believer back to the fold. And we're to seek to see the lost converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Am I my brother's keeper? Do I have a responsibility to other people? Absolutely. There's no denying it. How are you doing with that? Hmm? Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, thank you that you've given us this ministry of reconciliation. Going after the saved person who's wandered away from you, going after the unsaved person who's never, never come to you. It's our responsibility. It's our duty. You've commanded us to do so. Help us to be willing. We know that you use willing servants. You don't force us to do your will. You invite us to do your will. And I pray that we might have hearts that would say, Oh God, use me. And I pray that you would help us to put ourselves in a position where you can use us, where we keep our sin account short and, and, and allow you to have a vessel that's fit for your use. God, help us in this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I wonder how many would, would say, Preacher, I believe I am being concerned about other people, both saved and unsaved alike, about their spiritual well-being. God has burdened my heart to try to help people for believers who have fallen away to get them right, for unsaved people to get saved. And I believe I'm doing my best to do those things. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? God bless you. God bless you. Put it down. I wonder how many of you say, Preacher, I'm falling short here. I've not been concerned about Christians who have fallen away. And I've not been concerned about lost people dying and going to hell. And I see that tonight I have a duty, I have a responsibility to be concerned and to do my dead level best to bring people back to a right relationship with God. God's speaking to me tonight. Here's my hand. Would you hold it up high? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's stand together. Maybe you need to come to the altar. want to give you that opportunity. Mrs. Hunziker is going to play a song of invitation. If you need to come, right now is the time. Just step out of your seat and come.